Radio Rumi Hi everyone, you were just listening to the beautiful song that Homayun Shajarian sang on a ghazal of Rumi. And I think that's a good example to start our radio Rumi. Because it is a very beautiful instance of how this poetry, this voice of his, is connected with life, with music, with speaking, with everything that goes on on a daily basis. I am Fatimi Keshavarz. I am professor of Persian and director of the School of Languages and Literatures at the University of Maryland College Park. I am a teacher of things poetic and mystical. And a love of poetry has been the core of my life, all my life. One of the people who has really inspired me and had made a difference in who I am and how I think about the world has been Jalaladin Rumi, the poet you often only know as Rumi. Rumi once wrote, هین سخن تازه بگو تا که جهان تازه شود. He said, speak a new language so the world would be a new world. Imagine speaking a new language so the world would be a new world. There is really a world of meaning there already. It tells us that as speaking people, what kind of a difference we make when we talk about the world and about who we are in this world. It is a kind of self-discovery. It's a constant way of expressing ourselves. But it's really more than self-discovery. It's about self-remaking. So that's one of the things I Hope will come out of these conversations in Radio Rumi. And that's what I'm hoping to bring to you, the fresh and life-giving ideas that Rumi brought to his generation 
and it just continued to inspire generation after generation up to our time. And now it has become global. I will introduce Rumi at various times in this series of conversations um, because I think he's one of the people who's so famous that he's kind of hidden behind his fame. That's kind of funny, but it's true of famous people. Very often, we know very little about famous people because their fame kind of blocks our vision of who they really are. But first, where am I, what is this, and why am I doing it? First, I told you I am a professor of Persian, but this is not the university. I'm actually sitting in my son's room in my home in Silver Spring, Maryland. He gave me the permission to use his room as my studio as he gallivants around the world learning about history, which is what he's doing right now. And there is a mic in front of me, a laptop, a bunch of notes, not really very neatly organized, and not a written speech of any kind. I don't want this to be a classroom. I don't intend to make it a polished lecture about Rumi. There are too many of those. Actually, I've given many of those, so I'm guilty of that too. But I want this to be just plain, spontaneous conversations between us. You might occasionally hear a bird, therefore, because this is not a studio, or our gray cat shadow may walk in, but neither of those things actually are a problem. Rumi's poetry is full of bird songs, as you will hear very soon. And he did have a cat, though I'm not sure if it was gray, that he had a very loving relationship with. In fact, um, his biographers say that when Rumi passed away, the cat slept in his slippers for a whole week because he missed them. And now to why am I doing this? We are all very busy. We all have a million different things to do. But I really think this is important. I think that we academics do too many of these exchanges only inside our very small classrooms. Yes, we do it for our beautiful, young, bright students, and that's very important. But I think we need to reach out to the world. The world is badly broken because of the absence of poetry in our lives. In a way, we have become, and we need to be, very calculating, hardworking, busy, constantly planning what our next busy day will be and how we can get through it. And in a way, in the process, we kind of forget how to live. And poetry is that beautiful opening 
that moment, that chair you can sit on, that window you can look through, and you can see that there are still green, beautiful trees out there, that people are walking on the streets, that a cat is passing by. I don't know. It could be a million different things. Some of it could be not so beautiful, but that's life too. I also do this because I think Rumi has an uncanny ability to reach people. He can touch them. He can teach. He can um, tell us what is important what isn't. And so amplifying his voice is really an honor in my life. And I enjoy it tremendously. Because when I amplify his voice, there is an echo in me. It is every time, it is as if every time I share that too. In fact, it isn't as if I share that every time. Friends asked me to do this. Specifically, um, my loving friend Sogand. I should have really called this radio Sogand as she worked for more than a year to get me ready to do this. And I'm thankful to her for that. But I talk to you about an echo in me when I read these poems, when I share them with you. And I think that it is an echo in a very real, tangible sense. It's an echo of my childhood. It's an echo of the city in which I grew up, Shiraz, in the southwest of Iran. I grew up in a middle-class family, very ordinary people, and um, went to high school and did even my undergraduate in Shiraz University. There was nothing glamorous or particularly um, elitist about our family, but we lived poetry. And I mean it. We read poetry, we listened to the music on poetry, um, we played games with poetry, we were told off with poetry when we did something wrong. I remember that if I had done something that my mother was very upset about, she would say, And that's a beautiful line of Sadi, actually, not Rumi, another contemporary of Rumi, who says, Trying to discipline a rascal is like trying to balance a walnut on top of a dome. <laughs> of course, you cannot do that. The walnut's going to roll down. And the rascal's not going to be disciplined. But you know what? When she recited that poem, I knew that despite the look on her face, she wasn't really very angry that there was a laughter in that poem, in the kind of rolling of the, of the walnut down the, the dome. But I also, as I grew up, I started thinking about that poem and other poems. Um, I had learned them at different times, at different ages in my life, and I had kind of partially understood them. Of course, I didn't understand a whole lot of them when I was nine or twelve, um, but they lived with me, and they lived in me. And as I grew up, I started 
going back to them. In a way, one would memorize them even without trying to memorize them because they were melodic and beautiful and they said something memorable and they stayed with you. So God knows how many times I've gone back to these verses in moments of hardship, of sadness, of happiness, of joy, of exchanging words with my children in talking to my students, which is a great joy in my life. I don't know if I can recreate that environment here today. Um, I don't know if we even need to do that. Because, you know, it was very different. It was very, um, in some ways it was very similar, but in some ways it was different. I remember that we grew, uh, when I grew up and we slept in the courtyard and there would be this dervish that passed through our alleyway at night. I don't even know if he was a dervish. I just assume he was. I never saw him. And he would sing loud this beautiful verse of Sadi. So I'm happy in the world, the verse says. Again, Sadi, not Rumi. I'm happy in the world because the world is happy with him, capital him. I am in love with the world. Because the world is in love with them. Well, of course, I didn't know the deep philosophical meaning of this, that love is the core of the world and the most important component of it. And we are all in that, a part of that. But there was a sense of comfort and goodness that came out of it. Also a sense of longing for something that we need to reach out to. It is that something that I sometimes feel we are missing these days because of being too busy and too distracted. I have to tell you one more thing before we move forward. Still related to my family and my childhood, and that's my father. My father was just a walking book of poetry. He loved so many poets and had lived with them and could just quote a line at the drop of a hat, you know. And let's say two family members were unhappy with each other and he would say, which is a famous line of Rumi, which is supposed to be something that God addresses to Moses and says, Moses, your job is to connect the world together. But, you know, I would say 99.9% .9 of Iranians know that, know that verse by heart. And they know that the purpose of it is, the meaning of it is, we are here to connect with each other, not to fight each other, not to build walls, in other words, but to learn each other's language. So with the family, with my father, we had tons of these kinds of readings. We practiced calligraphy, writing poetry. Um, we teased each other 
there was just lots and lots of poetry everywhere. It was so much that when I left Iran, you know, I kind of was surprised that everybody did not do that <laughs> because I had assumed all my life that you do it. The other reason why I am doing this is also a very simple, though at some level, very profound reason. And that is the last thing I refer to. We need to speak each other's language. Rumi says in one of his famous pieces, Hamzabani khishio peyvandiyast, mard bana mahraman chumbandiyast. To speak the same language is to share the same blood, to be related. To live with strangers is the life of captivity. And you begin to think, well, who are these strangers? So are we good and the strangers are bad? What does he mean? Here is what he means. A basal Hindu butorki hamzaban. A basal dutok chumbigaunagan. Many are Hindus and Turks who speak the same language. Many are Turks who may be alien to one another. Listen to this again. Many are Hindus and Turks who speak the same language. Many are Turks who may be alien to one another. So this isn't about race. This isn't about language. This is about the heart. Pasaban mahrami. خود دیگر است همدلی از همزبانی بهتر است غیر نطق و غیر ایما و سجل صد هزاران ترجمان خیزد زدل So the language of companionship is other than the language we speak with words. Being connected through the heart is better than being connected through words. غیره نطقو غیره ایما و سجل صد هزاران ترجمان خیزد سدل Besides speaking and illusions and arguments. The heart knows a hundred thousand ways to speak. The heart knows a hundred thousand ways to speak. Isn't that beautiful? And when you think about it, it's really very simple. If we teach our heart, if we teach our heart that it needs to learn the language of others, that it needs to stay open, that that's where joy is, that's where knowledge is, that's where happiness is, our heart will do it. And folks, this is what Radio Rumi is about. This is why 
I take my Sundays happily and joyfully to bring Rumi outside the classroom to you all. To above all hear his own words in Persian and English, to learn about his life, though I'm not going to do long biographical um, sketches of his life. You can actually read those um, in books that already exist. There's a beautiful book by the late Anne-Marie Schimmel, the German scholar, um, who's a great biographer and uh, translator of Rumi. It's called I Am Wind, You Are Fire. And that is uh, one of the lines of Rumi, of course. And um, it, it, it's available in paperback, and you can find it in libraries or purchase it or whatever way is available to you. Um, and you can get a lot of uh, biographical information there. I will still give you snippets of his life because I think they're important. I, I think they are um, relevant. I think they give us the context to understand what he's talking about. But I want you to see the connection between his poetry and healing, life, growing, and not just discovering oneself, but reshaping and redefining oneself, which was, I deeply and sincerely believe, was the most important effect of his poetry. And occasionally, just probably like now, you will hear a little sound of paper. I'm just not in a studio again. I'm in my house. And this is Radio Rumi. And I just have a mic in front of me and a laptop. And I'm recording this for you. And I'm at this point going to just tell you that um, Jalaladin Rumi was in fact um, neither from room, not from Balkh, as people the two areas people refer to. He was born in a small city called Vakhsh, outside the city of Balkh. And his family, when he was very, very young, when this was in the 13th century, they all um, emigrated and out of that area and moved towards the West, probably because they were afraid of... Um, the upcoming invasion of the Central Asian Mongols, Mongolic, uh, Mongolian tribes, or because there were um, issues and problems in the city of Balkh where they lived at the time. And his father was very well known. He was a teacher of mysticism and, um, and um, theology and ethics and all the related topics to being a mystic. We will talk about being a mystic. We will talk about poetry. We will talk about all these concepts as these programs move forward. So for now, let's just um, um, hold on to that. Um, I think the other important thing that I want to bring to your attention um, just now is that uh, maybe sometime around the age of um, oh, 35, 37, some people have even said 40, when Rumi was at that age, this wandering dervish came to the town of Konya where he lived. 
where he was a young scholar teaching in a school. His father had sent him to the city of Aleppo to study in the city of Aleppo in present-day Syria. And he had come back, and after his father passed away, the community asked him to teach, which also showed how much they loved and respected him. And um, so he was a well-respected, well-known, important um, teacher of things to do with um, theology and philosophy and Quranic um, sciences and all the um, speculative knowledge about Islam. And that one day, when this wandering dervish walked into the school in which he, he taught, his whole life changed. Now, um, we don't really know exactly what happened. People say he performed a miracle. Of course, when you have somebody like Shams and Rumi, you look for stories of miracles. Others say that he just asked Rumi questions that he had no answers to, and he realized how much his learning was in the end really not, not that important because he couldn't answer these questions. But whatever was the reason, his life turned around and he started writing more and more poetry, which he had done before. It wasn't as if he was totally unaware of poetry or disinterested. No, he, he had just not written it at the level that he wrote afterwards. And he added another dimension that Shams added another dimension to Rumi's life. Or rather, you may say that encountering Shams, it was as if Rumi looked into a mirror and he decided that some things were missing and those were actual living. That he had had a lot of speculative knowledge, a lot of learning, but what was he doing um, with his life? How were these connected with his life? He started writing more poetry. One day as he was walking through the bazaar of the uh, goldsmiths in, in Konya, where they worked with little hammers and chisels working on jewelry, and they create a lot of beautiful small sounds, very rhythmic, and they also, um, others worked with copper and with, you know, other, other metal pieces. He started whirling to the sound of this hammering. And then that became a um, important part of the practice that he introduced. In other words, he went beyond praying, beyond fasting, beyond all the um, normal practices, which he still continued to do, but... Um, that introduced all of these new um, ways of celebrating life and worshipping this force of goodness to which he referred as, referred as love, as the friend, as the real, as the truth, any of these. Um. So, as you see, Rumi is a very complex and multidimensional individual. And perhaps nothing could describe him better than the story of the elephant, which he told himself. And he probably borrowed from Indian sources, as he borrowed a lot of his stories from many different traditions. Um, 
in the story, a group of Indians bring an elephant to a town where people haven't seen an elephant before. And um, so everybody comes to see the elephant and what is an elephant like? And at that time, it's dark, it's night, and the owner of the elephant says, you know, why don't you guys come back tomorrow when there's light and you can actually see the elephant? And people are so excited, they say, no, 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 we want to see the elephant now. Could you please let us in? And and he says, well, sure, but you know, you're not going to see much. So they say, fine, and they go in. And you just walk around in the dark and try to touch the various parts of the elephant in order to understand what it looks like. And the next day, when their friends say to them, oh, what is an elephant like? The one who touched the leg of the elephant says, oh, the elephant is like a big, thick column. And the one who touched the body of the elephant says, oh, no, 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 an elephant is more like a... um, like a um, throne, like something you sit on, you know. And the one who touched the ear of the elephant says, you are both wrong. An elephant is like a large fan. Okay. This story is the best way to tell the world how the vantage point we use And how much light we have to see makes a difference in our knowledge. And how love is that candle that you could carry in order to see the world around you better. Because Rumi says, well, if they carry the candle in their hands... They would be all looking at the same beast. They would all be seeing an elephant. And in these programs, we will have a lot of beautiful stories from Rumi. And um, again, this is Radio Rumi. And our job here is to explore the life-giving, hope-giving, healing worlds of Rumi. I said worlds and I meant words, but actually you can use worlds too. And apply that to our broken world, to a world in which we seem to be so anxious we feel our only way out, or rather way in, is to build walls. You can write to me at radiorumi at umd.edu. Again, radiorumi R-A-D-I-O-R-U-M-I, as one word, at U-M-D dot E-D-U. Please write, ask, comment, suggest, share, whatever you like. And I will try my best to incorporate it into these conversations about the beautiful words of Rumi. And now I'm going to leave you with a poem until the next conversation we have. This is a short poem, a quatrain, that is made of four lines. 
I know he talks about himself, but in a way he can talk about any of us. در بحر صفا گداختم همچون نمک در بحر صفا گداختم همچون نمک نه کفر و یقین ما نه ایمان و نه شک اندر دل من ستارهی پیدا شد اندر دل من ستارهی پیدا شد گم گشت در آن ستاره هر هر I melted in the sea of purity like salt. I melted in the sea of purity like salt. Nothing remained in fidelity, faith, certainty, or doubt. In my heart appeared a star. The whole universe disappeared in that one star. So listen to the last one again. The star appeared in my heart, in the center of my being. The whole universe disappeared in that one star. Radio Rumi at umd.edu I look forward to speaking with you again soon. I am Fatima Keshavaz. Sana mo de 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 de